thanks for downloading this official Munster Rugby podcast. For more, go to MunsterRugby.ie or subscribe to Munster Rugby on SoundCloud or iTunes. This, this is the Crooked Feed podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Duncan Casey and welcome to the Crooked Feed, the official podcast series of MunsterRugby.ie. In each episode, we take a look at the latest happenings in Munster, both on and off the field, get to know some of the squad a little bit better and catch up with a few legends of the past. Coming up this month, now in his third season with Poe, we chat with James Collin about moving to France, making his mark on the top 14 and to preview the Racing game this weekend. Every week it's a new challenge, you know, we're in Bordeaux, we managed to pick up a win there, you know, you're in front of 30,000 people who are booing you from the start of the game to the end of the game, you know, so it's, uh, it can be quite daunting. As part of our Getting to Know series, we chat with Felix Jones about coming to terms with a career-ending injury, making the transition to coaching and Munster's form of late. At the time, the whole thing was pretty fast. It was a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. You you know the day is always going to come, but you never really think about how is it actually going to feel. And in this, the first episode of 2017, Ireland women's captain Niamh Briggs looks ahead to what will be a memorable year as Ireland hosts the Women's Rugby World Cup in August for the first time. You have to try and manage the expectation, I suppose, of a home World Cup, and then you're also trying to manage the highs and lows because whatever the result, you have to pick yourself back up really, really quickly or bring yourself back down really, really quickly. Plus, the game is a sellout, but we have the very last pair of tickets for Munster versus Racing at Thoman Park this Saturday and you can win them here on the Crooked Feed a little later on. This, this is the Crooked Feed Podcast. During his time at Munster, James Collin made 139 appearances and was recognised for his consistent and outstanding performances by winning the Player of the Year award in 2014. After a long and successful career at Munster, he left for Poe at the age of 33. Yeah, it was... Uh was a big, uh, big decision. Uh, I won't be honest. Obviously, I needed to to square things off with the boss at home first, and then, um, and then if she was happy enough to go, then then we could start talking about it properly, you know. Because um, as you say, it isn't just me; it is me, it is the family as well. So, um, but we were lucky, you know. Paul's um, the capital of uh, Total. Total Oil have their headquarters here, so there's an international school here. So it's that kind of kind of softened the blow a good bit for the, the kids that they weren't just thrown into a French school and um, no we were lucky you know, like Paul's a beautiful part of part of the world it's a lot like Ireland but <laughs> it's very green but um, no it, it, it was it was a big call because obviously you know Munster was uh, I still am a Munster fan true and true and that's just that will never change because I was from Cork but um, no it's, it's it's been brilliant you know uh, we've really, really enjoyed it here, and you know, thankfully the rugby, is, rugby side of things, it has gone very well as well. So it's, it's all been all positive, really. To be honest with you, Dunk. Was it a very daunting experience arriving somewhere where people speak a different language with the family to go through the whole process? Yeah, no. It was, at the the first few months was very, it was tough going, you know, because you're there's an awful lot of paperwork with everything and everything is another language but to, to be fair to the club you know they're, they're well used to foreigners coming in and you know one of the managers Marie Anglade that was here speaks uh, you know English and French obviously and um, she went right like when she kind of grabbed me and said right today we're going to open your bank account tomorrow we're going to do your phone the next day we'll do the electricity the next day we'll do this the next day we do that and you know it really kind of softened the blow for us a bit you know but, um, my uh, son decided it would be a good idea after two days to run through the glass patio door. So then we got exposed to the French hospital as well all in the first week. So it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it 
it was a good start to us, but um, no, it was, it was, it, that, that was actually very reassuring in running through the door because within the space of an hour and a half, he'd seen a plastic surgeon, a, a orthopedic surgeon, um, the head of paediatrics and another guy who were all rugby supporters. <laughs> so they all came down and ha- had a look at him and made sure he was all right. And we were back home in, uh, in the space of an hour and a half with him, his knee stitched up nicely. So uh, I, I suppose we kind of just got into the not into a rut but into the mould of, of everything being as, as normal as it was at home and we just kind of decided look we'll, we'll give it a crack while we can because you know I wasn't if I didn't if I hadn't moved when I did I'd have, I'd have never moved so it was uh, mm. it was just a chance to experience the life in a different part of the world you know Absolutely and on that others have followed you over the post since I mean, Paddy Butler and Sean Dougal are teammates of yours um, yeah. video analysts uh, Elliot Corcoran moved over uh, yeah. at the same time as you if I recall correctly yeah. and Paddy O'Sullivan yeah. has followed since yeah. uh, does it feel good to have paved the way for other guys to go and experience something that they otherwise might not have yeah Jesus I don't know that I paved the way but I mean um, we're, we're lucky in professional sport don't you know that we have opportunities that, that come our way sometimes we take them sometimes we don't and you know, I was fortunate to, 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 to have the opportunity to, to live in a different part of the world, come my way, and it was something I chose to do at the time. And I think if you ask Paddy and and Sean, I suppose specifically from a rugby side of things, like they, they just wanted to play, you know, and it was an opportunity to, to, to go somewhere that they felt they could play and experience top 14 rugby at the same time. Um, for Elliot, it was a massive opportunity, you know, in the sense that he could have... Uh, take over his own analysis department and obviously then Paddy following him out with the the experience I suppose of Elliot paving the way for him as well and that uh, you know that there is there is opportunities out there and it's just um, it's not for everybody obviously and some guys you know regret moving away but like we've been very fortunate in where we've we've come and things have been quite successful for us so it's um, no, I think if you ask Paddy and Sean they, they're really enjoying life there and it's, it's been a a great experience for them as well as, as and it's great for us to have a, a few paddies around the place you know so it's uh, it feels a bit you're not as isolated maybe as you would have been you know How different is life in Port Chucking to what it was like in Cork? I suppose the big difference for me Dunk was um, I know it's not the case now but I don't have the three hours in the car at least once a week you know um you know, we're we're fortunate enough to be able to go home. It's only two minutes from the stadium, five minutes from the training centre, you know, and it's just, it's a small town, there's enough going on that you're kind of some bit anonymous and there's enough, you know, and it's small and that you're only really only 15 minutes from anything really in Poe. Um, so uh, that was the major, major thing for me, I suppose, at my age as well, at, at, at 33, you know, those, those extra hours out of the car was it's always beneficial for my you know recovery of my body and whatever. Um, and obviously the climate during the summer it <laughs> takes a bit of getting used to you know because it can get up to about thirty or forty here uh, during the summer, so it could be a uh, <laughs> it's tough going during the free season there when you're trying to you're getting flogged and it's uh, you know at that temperatures. But um, you know we're, we're 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 lucky you know during the winter we have to ski up the road is only. 40 minutes to an hour up the road and then in the summer we have the beach down to Brits and, and Bayonne and places like that and, you know just just for the kids they have like you know places that like you know you hear about on TV when I was growing up and they're they're going there like it's uh, just another day you know that kind of way so it's, it's just a fantastic experience for them to, to grow up in that kind of an environment you know uh, Moving on to rugby 
What was the adjustment yeah. to French rugby like? Um, what have you found to be the biggest differences? Would you say that the style of rugby suits you better or worse than when you were with Munster? Yeah, no, I, to be honest, Dunk, I, I, I kind of said it, and I was probably, probably asked, that was one of the main questions I was asked when I came over the first day, I think, as well. I honestly think rugby is rugby. You know, obviously, top 14 is probably renowned now as more of a, a world league than a French league at this stage, you know, with all the different nationalities playing and but like to be fair, it's um, it's extremely physical. The pace of the game is certainly uh, very very quick because you've so many international rugby players playing over here now that um, it's just it, it can be relentless and the season is quite long. You know, it's uh, I think we went 16 weeks in a row there with games every week. You know, so it can be uh, it can be very 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 tough. To, it, it is very tough to get away with. Uh, you know, everyone's home is is pretty much a fortress, and uh, you know the teams up the top of the league are the ones that can kind of go and win away from home. So, um, you know, that's what we're aiming at doing. You know, you try and make your own place a fortress, and then try and pick up as many wins away from your home. And if you do pick up a few wins away from home, you'll finish like fifth or sixth in the league. So um, that's the plan anyway, and that's what we're trying to do. And you know, obviously, it helps having players like Connor and and Colin around us and. Taylor and Steph know this year have made a massive impact as well. So, you know, it's uh, it's just it's 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 been, it's been really really good. And I think Paddy Paddy would probably testify to Phil Duncan that you know that just the the standard of uh, of competition every week is a big game. You know, and we look forward to all the French teams coming over when we play Munster. So uh, no, it's that it's every week. You know, so it's a it's a big challenge every week for us. Judge, like I watch quite a bit of top 14 on television yeah. uh, at the weekends and the atmosphere is regardless yeah. of where you're playing uh, in France just seem to be incredible like like even if the stadium isn't that big the noise levels just seem to be crazy like you you have bands yeah. nearly, at nearly every game and the crowd are just extremely vocal in a way that yeah. aside from maybe playing against the pro- other provinces here we wouldn't be too familiar with yeah, uh, yeah. Is, that, is that something you really enjoy? Yeah, I suppose, you know, you're, I'd say that Tormund Park is probably the best stadium in the world, but like, I mean, for support and stuff, because I think, but as you say, you know, every week, you know, I'm just thinking, like, it's it's a new challenge, it's the new band, it's the new, you know, we're in Bordeaux, we managed to pick up a win there, you know, you're in front of 30,000 people who are booing you from the start of the game to the end of the game, you know, so it's, uh, <laughs> it can be quite daunting, but I mean, you know yourself, once the once the, the whistle blows and the game kicks on, you kind of try and you nearly forget about it and you just block it out and you just try and deal with what's in front of you because if you get caught up too much in what's going on around the place, you forget about doing your own job. So um, I, I, I'm looking forward to going to a few games myself when I, I when I do actually stop playing and <laughs> watching it and properly experiencing it, you know, because uh, you do tend to block it out a bit. But uh, as you say, the... the the home support we have here is amazing. It's, it never stops, you know. That the whole way through the game, they're 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 there and they're shouting and they're screaming and they're singing and they're everything. So it's it, it's it is fantastic. Age doesn't seem to be an issue for you, joking. I know you said that uh, there be some games that you might look forward to uh, going to when whenever you stop playing. But I mean, you you turned thirty six recently. Uh, you line up for yeah. the side week in week out. Uh, the age profile in Irish and English clubs seems to be getting younger and younger all the time yeah. whereas in France it seems to be very much the case that if you're good enough you're young enough um, like I was speaking with Felix earlier and 
We mentioned that Sorelli Bobo, who was a teammate of yours last yeah. year, has signed a three-year yeah. contract. I think it's Strasbourg at the Indeed. age of forty. Um, yeah. So I mean, obviously, like you don't look like you're going to be slowing down anytime soon. So would you like to keep playing for as long as you can, or is there an exit point I, in sight? Yeah, for you? I think you. I, I haven't made any decision on what I'm doing as of yet. Um, I obviously have spoken to to Simon about where he sees me and about how how things are going to work out. But I mean. From uh, my own point of view, as long as you, you know yourself, Duncan, when you're doing you're doing the gym, you're doing the fitness, you're doing all the work outside yours. As long as you're able to do everything, like uh, I, I, I suppose I refer to more maybe the American football side of things. Like as long as you're meeting all your stats and meeting all your requirements, then there's you know they don't care how old you are, whether you're 21 or or 41. If you're doing your job, then why should it matter? You know, obviously. The recovery thing for for me now is is a big thing, and just trying to make sure that keeping the body as as uh, as able as I can, you know. But um, you know, I don't feel any different now than I did when I was 24. You know, I suppose you ask Donico Callahan, he'd probably tell you the same. You know, the only difference is that I've more grey hairs and more feathers bagging me about them. But uh, outside of that, I really don't feel any different. So it's. Uh, it's just about, you know, as long as I'm performing, I'll keep going. If I'm not performing, then I'll, uh, I'll have to uh, have to have a look at myself more than anybody else. Because that's, when it comes down to it, really, mm. um, it, it's about yourself and being being happy enough with your own performance. And if you're happy with your own performance and somebody else is happy with it, then uh, then that's always a positive, you know. But I think, Duncan, as well, if you're in it for, like, I was lucky, and unlucky, I suppose, I started really professional rugby when I was 24, 25, you know. If you started 18, 19, and you're, you're, you're going for those 10 or 12 years, that might be the reason why fellas kind of hang them up around 32, 33, or, you know, that kind of way. So it's everyone is different. You just have to, as I say, you just kind of have to listen to your own body and see where you go from there, you know. Whenever you do decide to start playing, maybe in your early to mid forties, yeah. uh, do you yeah. could I'm could <laughs> could you see yourself staying put there for a while afterwards, or would the plan always be to come back to Cork? No, I I, I don't I don't uh, I, I've heard I heard a, a statement uh, you know God makes makes jokes your plans or laughs at your plans so you know we get over this this year and. Um, you know, and we'll see what's happening next year, and and uh, I'll have a chat with Simon and make a decision, and, and uh, whatever that decision is. But I don't, you know, I don't see myself coming home for a while anyway. I don't, uh, you know, I think um, I I will go. I hope to go into coaching uh, um, when I do finish up at forty four, as you said. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, I'd love to to stay involved with the academy and do work like that and, and, and try and bring on a few young fellas and, and uh, have, try and have an impact on uh, a young player's career you know and that's that's a, a massive challenge for me um, going forward you know that was one of the reasons why I did learn French is uh, make it a much of an effort so I was able to talk to the young fellas and try and help them out as much as I can the same way as as we were helped out Duncan when we were younger you know and you the likes of Axel and Paulie and Johnny and Rags and uh, you know Anthony Anthony Horgan and you know they were just always there chipping in giving you advice telling you what to do and maybe you know if you did that instead of this and you know as a young professional that you know it can be quite difficult to talk to a coach whereas you have an older pro who's able to kind of chip in and help you out here and there and maybe give you a 
some help on your line out or whatever it is that uh, it's usually beneficial and I think that's that's an important part of every rugby club is that those senior fellas kind of make sure that they go out of their way to, to uh, have an impact on the younger fellas because that, that that's what carries on the club, you know. Donica Ryan calls me a Bordeaux because I'm getting better a nice Bordeaux I'm getting better with age so I hope he's right anyway with that one. <laughs> he certainly seemed to be anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, moving on from Poe, uh, Chuck, yeah. Munster play Racing in the final round of the Champions yeah. Cup this Saturday. Uh, Racing are obviously top 14 champions. They've struggled yeah. this year in the league and have yeah. had a very disappointing European campaign. Uh, last year, Stade Francais struggled, having been champions the previous year. Yeah. Why do you think teams struggle to be consistent in France year on year? Is it just the sheer competitiveness of the league uh, or do teams rest on their laurels a little bit, do you think? I don't know. I you know I I, I watched Raj after after the our game and monster game uh, against him. Uh, you know he was talking about maybe a hangover and so that's you know still resting a small bit. But you know how it is, Duncan. You know the the the, the leader of the pack has always been chased by the fellas behind them. You know, and uh, as you say, Stade struggled. Uh, I think Cast before them struggled. Um, after winning it, they they were nearly relegated the following season. It's so long the season. Like I think for, especially during a World Cup year, that it is going to have an impact the following year. And I think, you know, Racing having so many guys involved in the World Cup, and then going so far into the, I think it was nearly the 25th of June, mm, they won yeah. the the top 14 around that weekend. Like we were back in pre-season when they were played their last game we we were back doing or we think we were back a week at that stage so to, to, to put that much of a burden on people you know then they have your four weeks in July and we played, we played our first top 14 game I think second week of August or the third week of August you know um, to be consistent and to be able to do recruitment and to be able to get guys recuperated and back into a decent playing shape if they've played the World Cup, and then they've played a season into the 25th of June. You know, it's going to be difficult for them. Um, and then and everybody else having that little head start in their pre-season as well in front of them, you know, the likes of Claremont, the likes of Montpellier, the likes of, uh, you know, I would say Toulouse, Bordeaux, you know, the usual names that are always up around the the top of the league is that you know they were had maybe those extra couple of weeks because they weren't playing so late into the season. You know, Racing also got, got to the Heineken Cup final against Saracens as well last year. You know, so it's been in a, in a, an immensely long season playing hugely competitive rugby, and I think it's only natural and not so much natural but normal that you wouldn't be at the same level the following season because there has to be a little bit of fatigue kicking in. But I think. Uh, you know, it'll come around to, to, to the cup time of rugby and the Racing will be definitely up in, up in the top six, seven teams in France. And I think if that's the case, they could very well go on a run and, you know, because they have a huge amount of quality in their squad and that they could actually go on a run and, and go on and win it out of nowhere, you know, because nobody is expecting them to go anywhere at the moment, you know. What do you think we can expect from Racing in Thoma Park this week? Uh, will it be more the same? Will they be... Playing for pride, or will they be focused on the challenging league campaign ahead? I I, I think um, that they're going to come with everything. Um, to be honest with you, um, I think they were. I know they felt embarrassed with their performance after in Paris. Um, I know that they didn't feel that they um, just from reading the French stuff is that they didn't feel that they that 
did themselves any um, any justice whatsoever and didn't respect maybe the challenge that was in front of them and that they thought it was just going to come to them. So I think, uh, you know, they will come with everything and I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't, to be honest with you. If nothing else, I think Raj being there is going to have a massive impact on them as well, that they want to respect the fact that they've... Uh, a monster legend and that they don't want to show him up more than anything else you know so uh, I think it's going to be a, a, an extremely difficult game for the boys but I think the, for want of a better word the amount of balls that they've shown um, in the last few weeks has been immense I think everybody to a man has stepped up and I, I, I can imagine that there's a great buzz around the place so I wouldn't be expecting anything than, than the boys to do the job but I mean they are going to be have to be at their best and they're going to have to know that they're going to be hugely physical uh, battle in front of them and that they're going to have to do everything that they can to make sure that they impose themselves physically and then I think hopefully um, that they'll be able to kick on and maybe win it in the, later on in the game you know yeah. James, thanks a bit for talking to us this evening. Not at all. I hope I haven't bored you too much. Go on. Take care of yourself. This, this is the Crooked Feed Podcast. Having made 90 appearances for Munster and earning 15 Irish caps, Felix Jones was forced to retire from professional rugby in October 2015 after sustaining a serious neck injury. As part of our Getting to Know series, we catch up with Felix. My pleasure, Dunk. Let's start with your premature retirement from professional rugby. I think people will be very interested to hear about this because of how frequently we're seeing it today. In recent times in Munster, we've seen Johnny Holland, Farrells, Paulie and Barry O'Mahony in other provinces. We've seen guys like Nathan White, Kevin McLaughlin, Luke Fitzgerald and many others being forced out of the game at a very young age. I'm sure you, like the rest of us, had visions of doing a Sorelli Bobo on it and playing forever. <laughs> For those listening, Sorelli Bobo is 40 years of age and has signed a three-year contract with Strasbourg in the Federal One in France. That's the third division in France. Uh, that wasn't to be for you, and I can only imagine how shattering an experience it must be to learn that. What went through your head when you got the news that you weren't going to play again? Um, a whole host of stuff, but I think um, the thing that went through my head the most was that it, I think when, when you hear words like... Um, catastrophic consequences and um, paralysis and, and and stuff like that I think you're kind of it, it becomes life becomes bigger than than, than rugby and, and nothing you, you know what I mean nothing was bigger than uh, playing playing rugby for Munster for me you know it, it was a massive massive thing but obviously when you really take a step back and you put things in perspective and you think of your of your of your family and you uh, that obviously comes first so I think uh at the time it was it was it was pretty uh the whole thing was pretty fast um and it's just uh it was a bit of a whirlwind to be honest uh, and pretty unbelievable because you never like you like you said you, you know you 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 know the day is always going to come but you never really think about how is it actually going to feel um and my advice would be to guys just to play play as, as much as you can and enjoy it for as long as you can because um it's uh, it's definitely different on, on the other side. It's not. I'm not. I'm not it's not. Uh, I'm not saying it's it, it's worse on the outside, but it's it's just it's incredible when when you're playing there and and then to enjoy it is is the main thing. Everyone tries to prepare themselves for their exit from playing. Some do it better than others, but nobody expects to have to retire at 28. Was there any panic at that point? Were you going? What am I going to do with myself now? 
panic is probably is probably pretty extreme. But I'd be I'd be lying if I said I, I wasn't worried, and I, I'm still worried. You know, I'm still only I'm only out of it, and I'm still only out of it fresh. So. I think um look I, I was very lucky in that uh, I was I was uh, I was given an education uh, and I went to college and I uh, tried to round myself I remember saying that in, uh, afterwards I tried to round myself through uh, other interests and, and pursuing uh, other other avenues outside of rugby. Uh, well, having said that, rugby was always my sole focus ever since leaving leaving school. But uh, I did I did try to round myself with education. But again, like you said, nothing really. I don't think prepares you for it. But I, in fairness, Irupa I were unbelievable all the way through my career, and and during the retirement process, I have to say they were unbelievable. And I would really encourage all guys to to engage with their with their Rupa or their player, the the representative from the province and stuff. <laughs> it's just it's it's so mental. Um, you, 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 I, I, pretty quickly, I kind of flicked the switch of it to say, oh, okay, actually, this is actually pretty exciting now. I can kind of, I can kind of do what I want uh, now, or or try and find out what it is that I want to do now, uh, and go full out with that. Um, but for sure, and it's still uh, in the back of your head, it's kind of it still is that little niggle that's just kind of going. Oh, I wish I was still playing a little bit, but. Uh, it's definitely becoming less and less as the weeks go by, um, and you just divert your. Um, I'm just trying to divert my focus and energy into in, into other things now. Uh, obviously, one of them being coaching, um, and um, obviously, as I said, family. I think when you're a player, family definitely takes. Um, uh, you've got to you've got to make sacrifices, and it's still the same now. As uh, as a coach, uh, certain things take sacrifice, but I think trying to find that balance now is um, is is a challenge. Aside from coaching, did anything else jump out as something that really appealed to you? I I, I did consider um, a load of things to be honest, Dunk. Yeah. Uh, I thought about teaching. Uh, to be honest, I was at the time I was doing a master's in psychology, uh, which I still have my thesis to complete. Um, I tried a bit of coaching, and obviously, I knew I still wanted to contribute some way to 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 Munster if if it was possible, and and to to rugby. And I felt I still had uh, had had more to give. Um, I went around the province. And I went around to a lot of schools. I went to a lot of clubs. Uh, I went up to Dublin. I went up to Leinster. I went up to a couple of schools and clubs up there. I started getting a feel for things and what it would be like to, to actually coach. Um, and found that I enjoyed it. So um, I thought, okay, well, if I, if I feel like I still can contribute and I feel like I can, I can get enjoyment out of this. The, the big thing for me was that I, I, and it still is the worry, it still is the worry, is that um what i do after uh, after uh being a player is and for the rest of my career or whatever career path um if 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 coaching didn't work out for me obviously i'm in that now and i'm going full out for it as i'm sure you know but it's it the worry for me is that is enjoyment is i i knew as long as i was a rugby player i'd enjoy myself um and i'd enjoy training and being competitive and playing and having the crack with the lads the worry after for me was not that uh what I, what was i going to go into i know that if I apply myself into into something and I go full out for it, that I can I can make it work for me. It's whether or not I can get enjoyment out of it. That that's what I worry about. But at the moment, it's going well, so uh, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Looking around, do you think players today are clued in enough about preparing for the eventuality that they will have to stop playing realistically in the very near future, be it through injury or be it through retirement? It's only a flash in the pan, really. Your rugby career. 
do you think that people have the right frame of mind or does it worry you a little bit having been in the position yourself? Uh, if I'm being honest, I think it's a mixed bag. I, I look at some guys and I and I think, oh, yeah, it, this guy, no matter what he does, he I know he'll um I know he'll be okay after rugby or uh even even if that person isn't doing things that he maybe could be doing like an educational course or or, or something along the lines or uh broadening his horizons or whatever way terms you want to use it even if that person's not actively doing it at that moment in time uh i think you get a good f- uh i think you can when you get to know someone i think you get a good idea of what they're like and um and how, how things will work out for him and, and for on the most part I, I wouldn't be too worried because i know anyone that's um let's say within Munster for example I think most guys I think if you if you can if you're driven enough to to be successful to get yourself to this stage of a rugby career to be playing for for Munster then I think I know that person surely has the drive then to be successful in whatever it is they want to do outside of rugby it's different for everyone and, and you look at like you mentioned a number of people there who have had to retire or even guys who who have had to retire not just through forced injury just through normal uh, circumstances, age or, or whatever, I think, um, and you hear sometimes about how much they struggle and how much, I mean, words, they're feeling, feeling lost or out of control and stuff. Um, I think that's, I think that tran- the transition period is, is probably the most dangerous period. Um, we, we get told what to wear, when to be where, what to eat. We're, we, you know, we have our food made for us, uh, which I know you love. We have... Um, you get free clothes like you constantly uh, go on about and then I mean the, you, you've everything done for you when we go to an airport you're you're just following we're like sheep we're following uh, our manager we're following the red shirts um, and I think uh, I think when you come out of that straight away you're kind of going yeah I, I think there's so many little things like that that you kind of we probably take for granted so I think I think the transition period will probably um it'll be a mixed bag for people and I think definitely we can do more to prepare guys for, for it, definitely. And I think Arupa is probably the, the main avenue for that. You mentioned a little while ago that you still had that little niggle in the back of your head that says, yeah, I'd really I'd really still like to be playing and you, you said that was, that was getting a bit weaker and weaker. I mean, naturally enough, when you had to retire, I'm sure you rude the fact that you weren't going to get a chance to achieve many of the goals that you had with Munster, with Ireland and beyond that. Saying that, you made 90 appearances for Munster and played for your country 15 times, which is very impressive. As time goes by, are you able to look back on your career with satisfaction at everything you did achieve or do you still struggle a little bit with the fact that there was so much you still wanted to achieve but didn't get a chance to? I'd be lying if I said I, di- I, di- I didn't still um, harbour feelings like that where I, by the time, oh, I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that, of course. The, the, probably the biggest thing that I take... Um, refuge in if you like is, is that I, I know uh, I know I, I, I did my best I know that sounds like such a simple thing uh, but I know I applied myself maximally to, to every situation every training session every game uh, every time I do, was doing a video session I know I know on my own uh, it's, it's, it's self comforting to know that I maximised it all and I always tried my absolute best so um I, 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 that, that's quite, um, quite a settling thought. But for sure, yeah. Look, I would love to have, um, I would love to have done many things. 
what I would say is that now, um, as I as I said the words earlier, I'm now channel. I, I I'm attempting to channel probably inefficiently at this moment in time, but I I will get better at it. Is is to channel that's that that same energy into into a different form uh, through coaching and to and to try and achieve some of the things there. I mean I mean some of the games this year I I would I would class as 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 an equal or if not better to some of my moments in my, in my actual playing career. Um, so. It's I'm I'm discovering a lot more. I think I think I'm disco- I'm I'm exploring more, and it's it is exciting, and I'm and uh, I'm feeling things that I didn't think I would feel uh, immediately after retirement for sure. I wouldn't say you're inefficiently applying those things at all. I mean, I would definitely say you bring the same intensity and passion, it, but the same approachability as well, which is why everyone gets on so well with you. I mean, I think the fact that we can relate to you and. Um, and how approachable you are is is really terrific to have in a coach. I'm not, I'm not just paying you compliments here for the sake of it, but in terms of that, you said you, you've had almost as satisfying moments or some sa- as satisfying moments as a coach already, even though you're only in your first season as a full-time coach. How does the pressure of being a coach differ to that of being a player? The best way I can describe it is uh, as a player... Well, for me as a player, anyway, I would I would have taken, um, say, as a, as a back three player, I would I would have felt full responsibility on on how the back well one for my own performance, uh, and the things that I've been working on, and the things that were more my responsibilities, uh, and then two for I would have taken a large amount uh, in my own mind in my own mind uh, responsibility for how the back three played, and obviously the the backs as a wider group, and then obviously the team as a wider group, or uh, and then la- as 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 my career went on and I managed to get myself into into a situation in, in the group where uh, I felt I um, I could influence it again same thing I, I would feel more um, responsibility on it but ultimately I think as a player it was it was definitely on yourself and that was where I'd always start and finish was that was was I doing my own job uh, and they can become quite an insular thing there the pressure as a coach I think um you are considering such a, a wider group of people. I mean, for the backs, for example, you're not just dealing with the back three now or even just the seven guys that are starting. It's You've actually got a, probably a group of, you know, 15 guys potentially or even more of, of just backs that you've got to consider. Um, the other pressures, I think, um, if you don't, and I'm learning this uh, as I go along, if you don't learn to, as I said, be efficient and... Uh, and use your time correctly. Uh, it can become completely consuming. As a player, you you train hard at a very intense uh, periods, and uh, when it, whether it's gym, game, match, um, training, whatever it is, it's it's intense for that period of time. And then it's part of your job as a player to switch off physically and mentally, completely to switch off. Um, and you're told to do that, but as a coach, you're, I mean, there's no, I, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't come across it yet, a, a manual on, on exactly how to switch off, or I, I don't have Alad now saying, go home and relax to me. Do you know what I mean? It's a, you've got to manage it yourself, um, and I'm learning that uh, that it could, could it, it can become very consuming, and I, I would, I'd be, I'd be quite. Um, uh, self-analytical and I'd be thinking you know, how could that meeting have gone better or how could we have gotten more out of that session or uh, Jesus the game there now we've we, we got a number of things that we've got to work on there and it, it can become this uh, constant pressure in your head and constant things you want to you you try and improve uh, whereas a player it's usually just 
you know, you can kind of focus on yourself a little bit more. How would you switch off today as a coach? I'm still learning it, Duncan. It was probably my biggest challenge as a player just to switch off as well. Uh, but uh, at the moment, um, I, family is probably the, the, the number one outlet for me. Uh, Leanne and, and uh, my son, Alfie. So they're, they're the two main outlets that uh, I'm able to switch off. And I'm sure they'd like me to switch off a bit more, which, I, which I'm currently working on. But... I think I think again then ha- having something outside of uh, having outside. I mean, we've got we're as you well know after you're you're about to undergo a renovation uh, out there in that mansion on the top of O'Connell Street. So uh, we I've just come through our renovation, but it's still it's still going. So I mean, having things like that to keep you busy as well is also important, I believe. Having played and been friends with so many of the current squad, you went from being one of us essentially to a different level in the pyramid of the organization. You could say. Was that a bit weird to begin with? Did you notice your interactions with people having to change at all? Um, definitely weird. And interactions with people, I, I wouldn't say my interactions, uh, not like in any one moment where I was just like, oh God, this is so different now. No, but definitely over time. I mean, the difference now to getting off a plane, say after an away game, we all go back to one of the lads' houses and uh, we might just watch TV or just chill out and, and, and maybe have a beer and, and chat about the game and, and joke and not worry. You know, I obviously can't do that anymore. Uh, not that I can't, I'm sure I could call around to yours if you wanted me to. But Anytime. I, I think um, I think definitely the dy- dynamic has, has shifted, you know, there's no denying that. But my... Um, I believe uh, what happens inside here is we we keep it on on a very professional basis in terms of we we're wanting to achieve for each other and for the club and for the fans and then um, my personal relationships with guys outside. Uh, what I would say the dynamic has probably changed a little bit for the mo- uh, for for the guys I I, I was quite close with. Um, I would we would still talk as um, as if we were were, were close, but it's funny it was funny I mean when when I would have been when I first came down I would have uh, fallen in with say Fla and, and Barry Murphy and Ian Dowling and uh, Ronan and that group of guys and then Fla had to retire and he came back in as a coach and I remember the dynamic was different uh, within the walls it, we'd be slagging each other quite a lot but anyway and uh, but you, can, you can't do that so much in, in front of an entire group you know sometimes obviously in here there's, it, there's sometimes there's no rules at all but um, you know there is also a respect there in terms in, in terms of that. So, um, I, but then as soon as I had retired, almost I mean probably the week after I I was up in his house and we were having a dinner and it was like the previous couple of years it was exactly the same. And I mean, don't when you look at it now, I think there'll be guys coming through in the next two or three years, and, and the majority of the team, if if it remains as competitive as it has been, uh, I mean, you look look at this team in three or four years' time, and there could be, you know, probably the majority of it I would never have even played with, let alone socialised with when we were when we were younger. But I would say it's probably the biggest thing that I miss is the is is the, is the crack uh, after the games, before the games, uh, the nights out and. That for sure is is uh, just even the crack before meetings and stuff for, by a mile. That's the biggest thing I miss. Yeah. When I was talking to Murray last month, I said that the team couldn't be in a better place than it was. I would say we're in an even better place now. All going well. The lads will do the business on Saturday, and we'll have a home quarter final to look forward to in April for the first time in three years. 
in the league we have to negotiate with probably quite a large number of players being on international duty for the Six Nations. As a coach, how do you approach a period like that? Are you a little bit worried about suffering an injury or two in key positions and being stretched or are you just really excited to see a new group of lads putting their hands up? Uh, I think excited is probably the better way of describing it, Dunk. I mean, we, we've we've had a number of guys that have had um, uh, that have had opportunity this year, but probably limited opportunity. Um, and uh, I mean, some really young guys coming through. I mean, you look at that New Zealand Mary game. You look at some of the earlier games in the season, and uh, I, I see it as being very exciting. That uh, I mean, during that period, you're going to have. Um, X amount of internationals away, but we'll have guys like Connor Oliver, Darren O'Shea, Dan Goggin, um, all to come back in and add massive value. Um, and I think I think the the way they've been so competitive at at every training session on on a Tuesday or Wednesday or Monday, I think is is um, is encouraging. So I I think the way you approach it is yeah you you've got to um, give guys. Um, uh, the opportunity and, and 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 give them the chance to perform and that's that's how we all came through uh, is is probably during these periods where uh, the internationals were away and um, you're you're given your first chance and then you 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 kind of hold on to it for as long as you can and you might get another one again and that's how you build strength and in, in depth. Felix, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure, Stone. This, this is the Crooked Feed Podcast. Munster versus Racing in Pullman Park this Saturday is a complete sellout, but you can win the very last pair of tickets here on the Crooked Feed. To be in with the chance to win, simply answer this question. Munster's all-time top point scorer, Ron Logara, returns to Pullman Park this weekend. How many points did Ron Logara score in the red of Munster? If you think it's a difficult question, just visit www.google.com. Email your answers to competitions at monsterrugby.ie before midday on Friday and good luck. Neve Briggs began her rugby career at the age of 21 in Dungarvan before moving to Clonmel RFC and then on to UL Bowes. She took over the captaincy of the Ireland women's team in 2014 and guided Ireland to the Six Nations title in 2015. Neve joins us to chat about the Women's Rugby World Cup being held in Ireland later this year and about the growth of the game across the island. Thanks for having me. The Women's Rugby World Cup will be held here in August. Uh, in the last 10 years, Women's Rugby in Ireland has gone from you might say a niche sport to Ireland having a sevens team, Ireland winning a Grand Slam in 2013, beating the New Zealand Black Ferns in 2014, who hadn't lost a game in the World Cup since 1991 and winning another title in 2015. It must be a very exciting time for women's rugby in Ireland. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I started playing rugby in 2006, 2007. And, um, you know, when I think back even to the, like 10 years ago, in that sense, it's there's absolutely no comparison I think um, that was around the time that the RFU came on board with the, the women's squad and funding and, and good coaching started to be implemented into it. And um, yeah, we're starting to reap the benefits for now. But I think that the, the good thing and the scary thing is that it's only going to get better because more and more girls are starting to play it. There's more um, money got into the grassroots. There's more ways and alleyways, I suppose, for... Uh, for young girls to take up the game. You know, I was 21 when I started playing, so it was, 
you know, there was no rugby when I was 10, 12, 13 years of age and now there is. So, um, yeah, look, it's, it's going from strength to strength and obviously the implementation of the sevens has been huge as well because it's a, another professional entity as such, even though the girls are part-time, it's still a huge focus on, on that high-performance um, mindset, I suppose. So it's great, yeah, it's brilliant. So it's good, yeah, it's great. And even though it's, it's good, it's, it's, it's not where it needs to be just yet, com- competing with the best sides in the world, you know, England and professional this year. So um, we're a little bit off that, but we're going the right direction. You were something of a late starter at 21. And as you alluded to there, I noticed that out in my club, Shannon, there's a huge drive to get girls out playing from an early age. And there's a lot of uh, energy being put into that. Uh, do you think enough is being done to encourage that? Or are we only scratching the surface of the talent pool that's there? We're we're putting huge amount of work in. I think I think Nora Sableton, the RFU, is like a, the overall women's development officer, and she's she's making huge strides in that sense. And I think it's about changing people's mentality um, from all levels down. I think to you know to try and encourage more and more girls to, um, to you know more and more clubs to get girls involved in that kind of thing. I think it's funny, especially in Munster. Amanda, I I know Amanda Greenspan's doing really good work there, but it's all the non-traditional rugby places, the likes of Listowel. The numbers they have are absolutely huge. Carrick, the numbers are are huge, and then you you know Shannon might struggle to put a team together, or UL Bows, you know, might only have you know underage structure for one grade. They can't you know have you know under tens, twelves, thirteens, fifteens. They just they can't get those numbers. So, um, yeah, look, I think. From that sense, we're scratching the surface. You know, I'd love to be able to say we're bringing it into schools, 15s across the board. It's gone into every club. And um, I think that it, it's starting to get there. I think there's an initiative that's been brought in by the RFU to, for every AIL men's club, they should have a women's team. And I think that that's really important. But it's also important that, you know, get coaches in place and the foundations are good because if you throw a load of girls in together, you know, 40, 10 to 14 year olds and the coaching isn't good enough the foundations aren't going to be there well then it becomes very frustrating so um, look in, it, it's good like as in schools level this year and last year they have the secondary schools like GX7s it's a kind of a, a different type of a game for um, it's like a short and sevens version and that's really taken off I think finals last year were in uh, Aviva this year they were in Tala Stadium and you know big schools like Castle Troy and Rockwell these schools were all all had really really good girls teams in there so um yeah look it's 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 definitely we're making headway um I suppose on a selfish point of view you just want it all to happen really quickly but um it's it's definitely getting there definitely what direction do you see the game going in the next decade in Ireland do you see it turning professional uh, obviously that's something everyone involved in the game would uh, like to see do you think that's a realistic expect- expectation uh, do you see club competitions like the Pro 12 or an equivalent of the Champions Cup coming into existence as well yeah it's it's a really good question I think for us I think Ireland's like we're, we're still very in our infancy in relation to national squads and, and where we're going with it so I think of course you'd love to be professional like you know it's very difficult to you know, train at six o'clock in the morning and then go do a day's work and come back and train again. And to be able to compete with, you know, big teams that are professional, it's always going to be a little bit hard. But um, we're we're not there yet in terms of, if I have to put my objective hat on, like we're not there yet in terms of that those kind of foundations because we need better grassroots pathways. We need more girls to be playing. We need to have proper fundamentals in the leagues and stuff like that to be able to be in place before we can go professional. So um, in the next 10 years, I think as long as we can keep improving on the pitch in terms of as a national squad, you know, 
when you start to win things, like we're look, we're a nation of bandwagoners. So when we win things, people will automatically follow and support you. And you know, we've been really fortunate to have a last, you know, really successful few years. And that in itself brings up the the perception from the public that it's something that's really really good. And then young girls have role models, and it's got a huge knock on effect of where the game goes. Um, so there's a big pressure and a big onus on people still playing that they have to keep being successful because I I think I think it's just women's sport in general is that when you're not winning you're not as much in the public eye and then people can kind of have a little bit of out of sight out of mind uh, mentality um, and then in terms of the overall game I'd love to be involved in some sort of Champions Cup um, that kind of a uh, 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 competition would be amazing. I think back in 2008-9, I think Fiona Seed brought us over to, to Perpignan to play a team over there with Munster and it was unbelievable. It was a brilliant experience. Um, and then you'd also love to be having a good crack off, you know, those English Premiership teams because the nature that they're, you know, they're professional and um, and it's just, you have a perception of a different competition over there. But I have no doubt that if we were to put a provincial team up against one of their club teams, we'd, we'd more than hold our own. So, um, yeah, look, I think that's probably the way it goes. I think the sevens game will obviously be huge in terms of, you know, it's Olympic sports, so it's always going to have more and more funding and more girls playing it. And um, if we can get to a place where we can have enough numbers for both, well, then, you know, that's a really successful target for Ireland. Just on the sevens, uh, a lot of emphasis is being placed on sevens as a vehicle to attract athletes from other disciplines into rugby. Do you see many people who have no prior experience of the game being able to move from sevens to full 15s uh, with one of the provincial sides or Ireland? And the reason I ask is that it's seen in men's rugby also as a as a vehicle to attract people, particularly in America, from the likes of American football or track sprinters uh, into rugby. Um, the one that stands out for me is Carolyn Oyles, who was untouchable at sevens, but actually really struggled when he came across to Glasgow and tried 15s on a full-time basis. Do you think it's possible for many women to make the transition? Yeah, I think I think trying to compare the men and the women is totally different. And I think because when when you guys, you know, are 10, 11, 12, you're prepared for a school's cup mentality, you're prepared for almost a professional entity at that young age. Um, and, and you know, you're bigger and you're stronger and there's so much more in terms of how you prepare and stuff like that at 14, 15, a cup rugby age. Um, when girls, um, because it's such a, a late blooming sport, um, the crossover is very applicable to us, I think. Um, maybe not so much. We, we haven't had a huge amount of um, success in terms of um, say track athletes coming into the sevens discipline like obviously they're very quick but their their ball handling skills takes a lot of work then they need to hone them really like it's 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 a much different game but if you bring over a GA player um, or a hockey player something like that well then it's 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 really interesting to see how quickly that they can take to the game because they can see space and they can you know naturally will be stronger on the ball they, catch and pass the fundamentals the basics are there from from the get-go I think uh, Emer Constantine's been a really good you know um example of that she was with the sevens last couple of years um she stepped away from that now she played interpros at Munster she's involved in the training squad with Ireland um Louise Galvin played football for Kerry she's involved with the sevens Audrey Finn played hockey with Ireland she's with the sevens so like definitely yeah I think that it's more applicable for women I think than it is for the men only because of the years of 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 um rugby and basics like the fundamentals the understanding of the game I think from when you're so much younger um 
Whereas for us, because as I said, it's a late blooming sport, it, 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 can be, it can be quite easily done, I think. You spoke about the fact that it's a struggle to balance full-time work with uh, is, is, like what's nearing full-time rugby at this point. Uh, you're the captain of the national side, so um, that comes with a whole host of its own responsibilities. Um, I'm sure many people listening will be aware of the fact that you work full-time as a guard as well as being the captain of your country. Uh, does the fact that you have so many different obligations and responsibilities in your life wear you down at all? Like it must be tough at times. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, no, I'm look. I'm like I'm really fortunate. The guards are, are really really good to me, um, and I've you know I work with some really really great people, and I work for some great people. So I think that there's a huge understanding on both parties um, from both the coaching perspective and um, from my job, um, and I'm and I'm really fortunate for that. And yeah, of course, this time of year it's always going to be really really busy. I think you know obviously you come into a Six Nations, there's media launches, there's other those kind of expectations. Or, or obligations as you say um, but I don't really you know I'm not going to be doing it forever and so I think it's really important I, I really enjoy that kind of stuff um, I enjoy all the challenges that I have to meet every day to be able to function in both worlds um, so yeah look um, you know I'm, as I said I'm, I'm nearing like I'm, I'm getting quite older now so I'm not going to be playing rugby forever so I'm just trying to cherish it as much as I can and then know that you know once it's done and dusted like you know I can give my 100% attention to the guards because you know I definitely order them back after after all their support Let's talk about the World Cup itself Ireland have drawn a difficult pool France and Australia will be really tough matches and after seeing what the men's side did in the World Cup in 2015 you're bound to be wary of what the Japanese are going to bring as well Yeah <laughs> Um, I think when you put in a 12-team World Cup, every pool is going to be really difficult. And obviously, you know, we know France very well from the Six Nations. They're incredibly difficult to beat. And, um, you know, we lost out to them in the last World Cup as well in the third, fourth playoff. And that was really disappointing. But, um, and then, you know, Australia are a bit of that un unknown entity because we've never played them before. And that's a really exciting thing for us because, I don't know, it's like obviously if the men is a little bit different, but for the women, because we only play Six Nations and then every four years play a World Cup, that you don't only get to play too many other teams so um, yeah look they've obviously you know have had a huge amount of success in terms of their sevens programme Olympic champions and world champions um, and they'll have a lot of crossover athletes so um, it's going to be really interesting and then Japanese they put in so much money into the game I think hosting the next men's world cup as well is huge for them and I've played against them in, in that sevens uh, qualifier for Rio this year and their basics are really really good and and you know they're starting to, be, you know, get a lot of athletes, put a lot of money into it and, and try and reap the benefits from it because once the World Cup hits them in 2019, it's going to be a huge, huge thing for them. And I think they're trying to, you know, start that process of, of, of putting women's rugby on the map as well. So, yeah, look, it's going to be really, really tough. I think, you know, it's it's a unique tournament that you play every four days and um, it's, it's a little bit difficult. You have to try and manage the, the expectation, I suppose, of a home World Cup. And then you're also trying to manage the highs and lows because whatever the result, you have to pick yourself back up really, really quickly or bring yourself back down really, really quickly. And I think um, the majority of the squad that played in 2014, will, you know, having won against New Zealand and then four days later trying to pick yourself up to play, you know, a match was really difficult for us, I think. Um, and then, you know, going into that semi-final against England, we probably, you know, we were obviously very fatigued. I think it wasn't a physical fatigue. We were, you know, probably the fittest we've ever been going into a World Cup, but it's also a mental factor as well. And um, so, yeah, we'll have learned a lot from that. And I think... 
the message that we probably be getting out to everybody is try and embrace it as best you can because it's not often you get to play in a World Cup in your home country. Absolutely, yeah. and being the host nation, will you and the others have much responsibility in the way of promoting the event over the coming months? Uh, is that another time commitment you have to factor into your routine as captain? Yeah, it's, I suppose I will. I think a lot of it's, you know, we've done it quite a bit before Christmas that'll be released there um, out over the years, so it's not too bad. I think um, I think as a player, once, you know, the Six Nations is, is finished, we'll have a, a week or two off in April and then we'll start getting into World Cup mode and, and then at that stage, you know, it, you only really want to concentrate on is the rugby and trying to get yourself in the best possible position so you can get selected. So, um, look, I think it's it's definitely something that me myself I'll definitely be trying to embrace it and try and soak it up as much as I can. I don't think I'm you know what I mean. I'm thirty two. I'm not sure I'll get into another World Cup. So, um, I won't say no, never, never. I won't never say never. But um, at the moment, I think you know, um, I'm just planning on going out to really enjoy it and as I say, embrace it. And that'll be the message that will go out to the squad. You know, I think um, it's obviously going to bring a certain expectation and a certain pressure. But um, it's how we react to that pressure and. Um, yeah, I think it's just a really exciting time. I think the fact that it's a 12-team World Cup means that all the matches will be of a really high standard and that's something from a spectator's point of view that we can really look forward to. Uh, in addition to that, it'll be a great opportunity for Ireland to showcase hosting a major international tournament and um, obviously with the bid for 2023 on the horizon, um, it'll be a great way to welcome uh, visiting spectators in and uh, show them a good time. So, um, Niamh, to you and the rest of the team, the very best of luck in the World Cup and thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thanks. I'm Duncan Casey. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of The Crooked Feed. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe to Monster Rugby on iTunes and SoundCloud. See you again next month. The Crooked Feed Podcast. 